It is Monday, the 20th day of Nisan, 5773, Tavshin Ayin Gimel. It is Yom HaShoah, here where I am in Israel, and it is commemorated as well throughout the world. My name is Mayor Weingarten, near tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We will be devoting today's show to some stories and contemporary Israeli music that is appropriate for the day. I'm in Israel and usually find myself in Israel on Yom HaShoah. It is very hard, if not impossible, to convey how being in Israel on these special days, whether it be Yom HaShoah, Yom HaTzma'ut, Yom HaZikaron, Yom Yerushalayim, being in Israel on these days gives you a feeling that you cannot get anywhere else in the world. You are enveloped by the mood, by the atmosphere. In the case of Yom HaShoah, you're enveloped by the sadness, and yet by the hope that this state of Israel brings us. At 10 o'clock in the morning, a siren goes off throughout the country. Everything stops for two minutes. I usually go down to be in the street when the siren goes off because I want to feel a part of this enormous memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. It's been said in the name of Rav Soloveitchik, and I also read it recently in the name of Rav Shagar, that on Rosh Hashanah, the sound of the shofar is in a way a tefillah that goes beyond words. It is a sound that expresses our feelings, our innermost self, where words can no longer help. Rav Shagar likened the siren of Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaShoah to the shofar of Rosh Hashanah in that way. The siren is beyond words. When you're standing out in the street in Israel and the siren goes off and everybody stops, the buses, the taxis, the cars, everybody gets out and stands at attention for two minutes, silence, almost a communal Kaddish, if you will, where every man and woman and child devote their thoughts to the memories of the Holocaust victims. It is hard to imagine the impact of this moment in time. I'm 
During President Obama's recent visit to Israel, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau had the opportunity to say a few words to the President during his visit to Yad Vashem. Rabbi Lau is the youngest survivor of the Buchenwald concentration camp. And the message he gave to the President was an important one where the key words were, don't be too late. An interesting postscript to the clip you're about to hear. In his message, Rabbi Lau mentions Rabbi Herschel Schechter, the Jewish chaplain, the first Jew to enter Buchenwald. Unbeknownst to Rabbi Lau, that very same Rabbi Schechter died at the age of 95 the day before President Obama's visit to Yad Vashem the day before this message was given by Rabbi Lau to President Obama. Mr. President, President Perez, Prime Minister Netanyahu, I want to use this occasion. It's an opportunity for me to thank you. On April 11, 1945, in the concentration camp of Buchenwald, which you visited, the American troops broke in, led by General Patton of the division of General Dwight Eisenhower, and have liberated us. One of the Jewish leaders in the United States, Rabbi Herschel Schechter, was eight years the president of the President's Conference. He served as a chaplain by General Patton. He entered into the barracks, where we were there, crying in Yiddish, Jews, you are free. And we didn't believe. After six years of horror, such a tunnel, we never believed. This is the opportunity to thank you, to thank the American people who came finally on 1945, April, to take us out, not from slavery to freedom, but from death to life. I want to add one sentence. 
two months ago, we had Avner Shalem and myself the privilege to appear every year at the government's meeting for the International Commemoration Day of Holocaust. Prime Minister Netanyahu was very kind to give us the word, and I told a short episode from last year I experienced in Seattle, the United States, a corner which is a very small Holocaust museum, one room. At the front stood a brigadier general, an old man, very handsome man, the uniforms with all the medals of the United States, welcomed me with tears in his eyes. He knew that I'm a Holocaust survivor, a child from Buchenwald. He shook my hand and said, Rabbi, I was one of the liberators of Buchenwald. I served with General Patton. When I have heard that you are coming to Seattle, I ask the permission to meet with you before I give back my soul to the Lord of the universe. Me, Leo Hymas is my name, asking from you forgiveness for being late. We came too late. I saw what we have seen. I understand we were late. Forgive me. I told him if 67 years, 68 years almost, you have in your heart, in your consciousness, this worriness that you have to ask forgiveness must be a great man. Yesterday, Mr. President, you promised us that we are not alone. Don't be too late. Remember, we need your support. We need your friendship. We appreciate your love to us, to the entire world. And we all together, next week, sitting at the night of the Seder, together from all over the countries in the globe, we are asking not only to praise the Lord Almighty for the past of Exodus, but also we pray for the peace in Israel, in the Middle East, in the entire world, and you will help us together to have the great days of light after the dark tunnel. Thank you very much. יום ראשון בבוקר, שוב אני נזכר, בא להיות לירושלים, קצת מתחיל להיות לי קר. אני חושב על המילים שעל שער הברזל, כבר עברו שנים מאז, תמיד אני זוכר. יום ראשון בבוקר, וקצת קשה לנשום, כשריח העשן מעלה בנשכחות. מבית הכנסת הגדול, מהילד הקטן, מציץ מהחלום. וכולם מספרים על אברום הגדול, שאם ובמקרה תימד אז הוא ירוץ ויגרום לך שוב לעמוד, הוא נחל מתגבר, שומר הנשמות, כשכולם נופלים למטה, איך אתה?
It was a dark, cold night in the Yanovska camp. Suddenly, a shout pierced the air. You are all to evacuate the barracks immediately and report to the vacant lot. Anyone remaining inside will be shot. Pandemonium broke out in the barracks. People pushed their way to the doors while screaming the names of friends and relatives. In a panic-stricken stampede, the prisoners ran in the direction of the open field. Exhausted, trying to catch their breath, they reached the field. In the middle were two huge pits. Suddenly, with their last drop of energy, the inmates realized where they were rushing on that cursed night in Yanovska. Once more the cold, healthy voice roared in the night, Each of you dogs who values his miserable life and wants to cling to it must jump over one of the pits and land on the other side. Those who miss will get what they rightfully deserve. It was clear to the inmates that they would all end up in the pits. Even, even in the best of times, it would have been impossible to jump over them, all the more so on that cold, dark night in Yanovska. The prisoners standing at the edge of the pits were skeletons, feverish from disease and starvation, exhausted from slave labor and sleepless nights. Though the challenge that had been given them was a matter of life and death, they knew that for the SS and the Ukrainian guards it was merely another devilish game. Amongst the thousands of Jews on the field in Yanovska that night was the Bluzhev Rebbe, Rabbi Yisrael Spira. He was standing with a friend, a free thinker from a large Polish town, whom the rabbi had met in the camp. A deep friendship had developed between the two. The friend said to the rabbi, Spira, all of your efforts to jump over the pits are in vain. We only entertain the Germans and their collaborators. Let's sit down in the pits and wait for the bullets to end our wretched existence. My friend, said the rabbi, as they were walking in the direction of the pits, man must obey the will of God. If it was decreed from heaven that pits be dug and we be commanded to jump, pits will be dug and jump we must. And if God forbid we fail and fall into the pits, we will reach the world of truth a second later, after our attempt. So, my friend, we must jump. The rabbi and his friend were nearing the edge of the pits. The pits were rapidly filling up with bodies. The rabbi glanced down at his feet, the swollen feet of a 53-year-old Jew, ridden with starvation and disease. He looked at his young friend, a skeleton with burning eyes. As they reached the pit, the rabbi closed his eyes and commanded in a powerful whisper, We are jumping! When they opened their eyes, they found themselves standing on the other side of the pit. Spira! We are here! We are here! We are alive! The friend repeated over and over again, while warm tears streamed from his eyes. Spira! For your sake I am alive! Indeed, there must be a God in heaven. Tell me, Rebbe, how did you do it? The Rebbe said, I was holding on to my ancestral merit, my schutavot. I was holding on to the coattails of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather of blessed memory. But tell me, my friend, he asked, how did you reach the other side of the pit? <laughs> 
I, I was holding on to you. On the eve of Hanukkah, a selection took place. Early in the morning, three German commandants, meticulously dressed in their festive black uniforms and in visibly high spirits, entered the men's barracks. They ordered the men to stand at the foot of their three-tiered bunk beds. The selection began. No passports were required, no papers were checked. There was no roll call and no headcount. One of the three commandants just lifted the index finger in his snow-white glove and pointed in the direction of a pale face, while his mouth pronounced the dense death sentence with one single word. Come! Like a barrage of machine-gun fire came the German commandants. Come! 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 The men selected were marched outside. SS men with rubber trench coats and iron prods awaited them. The men selected were marched outside. 
SS men. The men selected were marched outside where SS men were waiting for them. They kicked, beat, and tortured the innocent victims. When the tortured body no longer responded, the revolver was used. The random selection went on inside the barracks and the brutal massacre continued outside of the barracks until sundown. When the Nazi black angels of death departed, they left behind heaps of hundreds of tortured and twisted bodies. Then Hanukkah came to Bergen-Belsen. It was time to light the Hanukkah candles. A jug of oil was not to be found, no candle was in sight, and a menorah belonged to the distant past. Instead, a wooden clog, the shoe of one of the inmates, became a Hanukkiah. Strings pulled from a concentration camp uniform, a wick, and the black camp shoe polish, pure oil. Not far from the heaps of the bodies, the living skeletons assembled to participate in the lighting of the Hanukkah candles. The Blushiva Rebbe lit one wick and recited the first two brachot in his pleasant voice. When he was about to recite the third bracha, he stopped, turned his head, and looked around as if he was searching for something. Immediately, he turned his face back to the quivering small light, and in a strong, reassuring, comforting voice, he said, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Shehechiyanu V'Kiyemanu V'Higiyanu Lazman Hazeh. Among the people present was a Mr. Zemechkovsky, one of the leaders of the anti-religious Warsaw Bund. As soon as the Bluzhiva Rebbe finished lighting the candles, Zemechkovsky elbowed his way to Rabbi and said, Spira! You're a clever and honest person. I can understand your need to light Hanukkah candles in these wretched times. I can even understand the historical note of the second bracha, Shasani Sim Lavotenu Bayamim Haheim Bazman Hazeh. But the fact that you recited the third bracha, that's beyond me. How could you thank God and say, Shechianu Vikiyamanu Vihigianu Lezman Hazeh? How could you say it when hundreds of dead Jewish bodies are literally lying within the shadows of the Hanukkah menorah, when thousands of living Jewish skeletons are walking around in camp and millions more are being massacred? For this, for this you are thankful to God? For this you praise the Lord? This you call Hechianu, Kiyamanu? Zemechkovsky answered the rabbi, you are 100% right. When I reached the third blessing, the third bracha, I also hesitated, and I asked myself, what should I do with this bracha? I turned my head in order to consult some of the rabbis who were standing near me. But just as I turned my head, I noticed that behind me a crowd had gathered, a large crowd of living Jews, their faces expressing faith, devotion, and concentration as they were listening to the brachot. I said to myself, if God has such a nation, that even at times like these, when they see in front of them the bodies of their beloved fathers, brothers, and sons, and death is looking from every corner, if despite all that, they stand and with devotion listen to the Hanukkah blessing, If indeed I was blessed to see such a people with so much faith, then I am under a special obligation to recite the third bracha, Shehechianu. Some years after liberation, the Blushiva Rebbe, now residing in Brooklyn, New York, received a message from Mr. Zamechkovsky. Tell Israel Spira, the Blushiva Rebbe, that the answer he gave me that dark Hanukkah night in Bergen-Belsen has stayed with me ever since and is a constant source of inspiration during hard and troubled times. From Yaffa Elyach's Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust.
Rabbi Dr. Lord Jonathan Sachs, the Chief Rabbi of Great Britain, of the United Kingdom. We've mentioned him many times on this show. ChiefRabbi.org is his website. And this is his message for Yom HaShoah, which this year coincides with the 70th anniversary of one of the most remarkable moments of that long, dark night, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. The rabbi says that the Nazis deliberately timed some of their worst programs of mass murder to take place on Jewish festivals as a way of killing not only Jews, but also Jewish faith. So, they, the Nazis, planned to liquidate the ghetto and murder all its inhabitants on Pesach 1943 to prove 
on the Jewish festival of freedom that the God of freedom did not exist. Somehow, Rabbi Sachs continues, somehow Jews within the ghetto heard about this in advance, and though they were weakened by starvation and disease and had only a handful of weapons, they determined on a collective act of defiance. They knew that, surrounded by the German army, they couldn't win. But they held out for a month. And sporadic fighting continued for another three weeks. It was a turning point in Jewish history. Rabbi Sachs continues, Great rabbis in the ghetto supported the uprising. They said, This persecution is different from previous ones in Jewish history. In the past, our persecutors wanted us to convert. So Jews were willing to go to their deaths as martyrs, rather than betray their faith. But the Nazis didn't want Jews to convert. They wanted us to die. So, said the rabbis, we must defy them by refusing to die, by fighting for the right to live. They knew that almost all of them would die anyway, but they wanted to make a protest in the name of life, and they did so with immense courage. After the Holocaust, Jews, and much of the world, vowed never again. Yet, in the last few years, anti-Semitism has returned to Europe. From Greece in the south, to Norway in the north, from France in the west, to Russia in the east, nothing like what it was in the past. Yet enough to make Jews fear what the future may bring. And Rabbi Sachs concludes, anti-Semitism matters not because it is an assault on Jews, but because it's an assault on humanity. Jews were hated because they were a minority, and because they were different. But we're all different, and any group may one day find itself a minority. It wasn't Jews alone who suffered under Hitler, which is why we must learn to fight hate together. We owe the heroes of the Warsaw Ghetto no less. Thank you. 
Near the city of Danzig lived a well-to-do Hasidic rabbi, the scion of a prominent Hasidic dynasty. Dressed in a tailored black suit, wearing a top hat and carrying a silver walking cane, the rabbi would take his daily morning stroll, accompanied by his tall, handsome son-in-law. During his morning walk, it was the rabbi's custom to greet every man, woman, and child whom he met on his way with a warm smile and a cordial good morning. Over the years, the rabbi became acquainted with many of his fellow townspeople this way and would always greet them by their proper title and name. Near the outskirts of the town, in the fields, he would exchange greetings with Herr Müller, a Polish Volksdeutsche. Good morning, Herr Müller, the rabbi would hasten to greet the man who worked in the fields. Good morning, Herr Rabiner, would come the response with a good-natured smile. 
Then the war began. The rabbi's strolls stopped abruptly. Herr Müller became an SS officer and disappeared from the fields. The fate of the rabbi was like that of much of the rest of Polish Jewry. He lost his family in the death camps of Treblinka and after great suffering was deported to Auschwitz. One day, during a selection, a selectia at Auschwitz, the rabbi stood online with hundreds of other Jews awaiting the moment when their fates would be decided for life or death. Dressed in a striped camp uniform, head and beard shaven and eyes feverish from starvation and disease, the rabbi looked like a walking skeleton. Right, left, left, left. The voice in the distance drew nearer. Suddenly, the rabbi had a great urge to see the face of the man with the snow-white gloves and small baton and steely voice who played God, deciding who should live and who should die. He lifted his eyes and heard his own voice speaking. Good morning, Herr Müller. Good morning, Herr Rabiner, responded a human voice beneath the SS cap. What are you doing here? A faint smile appeared on the rabbi's lips. The baton moved to the right, to life. The following day, the rabbi was transferred to a safer camp. The rabbi, now in his eighties, told me in his gentle voice, this is the power of a good morning greeting. From Yaffa El Yach's Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. Yeah. 
רדיפות נוטלה אותה עלינו, הלב הקרוע כבר קורא בקור, לארצנו, לארצנו, לארצנו. Thank you very much for tuning in and making the Israel show a part of your day on this very special day. Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, Tavshin Ayin Gimel. We tried and we hope we were successful in creating a very special show and bringing you some of the feelings and emotions of Yom HaShoah from Israel. Until next time we meet, this is Mayor Weingarten on the Nachum Siegel Network reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.